the context matters so much in in how willing people are to think about technology and engineering as a creative practice. In some places where the business requirements are really pressing and they feel urgent, or a business might feel that it's it's on the line and it needs to make a real difference in in business outcomes with this next next project, they may be less open to you know, what are, what are the engineers thinking? What would the engineers like to try as part of this business? They want to know what can we deliver and when and, and what can we bank on? If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high-functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, today we are talking about a fascinating topic, how to scale innovation and how to think about scaling innovation. And we're so lucky we get to talk to Matt Holford. Hey Matt, how you doing? Hey, great to be here, Debbie. Nice to see yeah, you. Yeah, I'm really, you too, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. So very relevant to our conversation. I'm gonna tell you guys about Matt's background. So Matt is an engineering department lead at Etsy. And what he does today is he supports the global fulfillment, support, trust, and safety operations. Now, leading up to this role at Etsy, Matt has worked with web software for 25 years in digital agencies, commercial production companies, publishing, e-commerce, and nonprofits. And um, I just learned this about you recently. You were a professional touring musician not too long ago in the early 2000s. Um, and signed to Southern Records in Chicago and London. So, oh my gosh, that's amazing <laughs> in and of itself. And so, and so because of this path that led you to where you are today, you know, there's actually been a lot of technology leaders I've talked to that have had all sorts of different paths. And I think that's what makes us great as a, as a group is uh, the way we come to tech is varied, but yes. you've been a musician, and you've worked a lot at agencies and creative agencies, and you've drawn all of these disparate experiences and organizations and teams to help you frame the way you think about scaling innovation. So that's where I want to start. So tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. I'll, and I'll just um, fill out my background a little bit more because I think it, it does inform the kind of approach and maybe the biases I have when I, when I think about this stuff. I um, I don't have a computer science degree, and I've always kind of learned my way into into this career starting in the mid '90s. Um, and the first part of the career, the first the first 15 years of my career, was in the context of these creative and digital services agencies, where you know each each client, each engagement, each project was was special in in one way or another, um, depending on what the type of client was and, and what kind of work they did. And, um, and that, that really informed kind of how I thought about using technology and thinking about engineering and software when I, when I moved into the product world, um, which has kind of been the, the second 10 plus years of what I've been doing. So the approach that I've developed on the agency side was also informed by the kind of variety of, of clients. There were big companies like Nike and, and MTV and Johnson & Johnson. There were small businesses and 
nonprofits like the Innocence Project. And then there are also artists. I, I did work with George Harrison of the Beatles and Metallica and Bjork, um, the photographer Richard Avedon and, and other folks and on and on. And in those engagements, um, and, and this might be how you approach this at Stride too, but the, the technologists were in the room with the people that you often think of as like the creatives in the ad world. And, um, and it was, we were part of the, the beginnings of the conversations about what to do with a client, what were they going after, what kinds of problems were they trying to solve, what was their vision. And it was a really organic way to, to come up with possibilities that included technology. Um, 20 years ago, it was really interesting to be able to do this on the web when there are, there are fewer rules and people are trying all kinds of wackadoo things and different browsers did different things. So we needed technologists in the room then to be able to say, well, this kind of thing where you click a button and you spring up to Windows or whatever cookie thing we were thinking about at the time might be possible on this browser and not on this one. And here's a different solution that would actually work with all of them. That kind of approach really helped us think creatively about the experience of using the technology and not just the kind of design requirements and mood boards and traditional approaches you'd have to designing things for, for clients at an ad agency. Um, when I got into product development, I think one of the, the things that could kind of seem funny or even unhealthy to me was when the technology side was considered the implementation partner. And it was the job of other people to come up with goals and outcomes and possibilities and requirements. And then we would, as the engineering team, we would kind of like get all of that stuff. And the question would be, how can you do this and when? And like, what things are you going to say no to? And I always tried to work and, and still do try to work to get kind of further upstream in that conversation so that as technologists, we can say, here, as, here are some of the creative possibilities that we see. And here are some of the things that haven't been on the table yet, but I want us to be able to consider instead of just being the people who say no and, and take orders. So that, that's kind of been how, how the earlier part of the career has informed the work I've done in, in product development as well. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the, the path that you took to get to Etsy and also the, the time of it, because the nineties and the two thousands, that is also when tech teams, you know, SaaS companies and the like started to take a more iterative, more collaborative approach than historically. So that the timing of your journey, I think, is also very interesting um, because I don't know that it would have been as easy for you to carry across those lessons learned if you were even 10 years earlier, right? I think you would have maybe faced more resistance. Um, so that's maybe. that's really interesting to me as well, right? So that's when teams are starting to, um, on traditional tech teams are starting to change the way they had the conversation, right? Um, yeah. and so do you, when you were, when you were, um, starting to have those, um, moments of, oh, wait, I think my background is, is, is going to help me bring a different lens and, and actually positively impact the outcomes of innovation at Etsy and other, other places like Etsy. Um, were you, um, did you face a lot of resistance or did you find that folks were receptive to this idea of bringing the technologists earlier into the conversation, did you have to be uh, a CTO to get that permission? You know, like how did you find that that 
that acceptance, that willingness mm-hmm. from the others <laughs> to have I, those conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that it, it, the context matters so much in in how willing people are to think about technology and engineering as a creative practice. In some places where the business requirements are really pressing and they feel urgent or a business might feel that it's it's on the line and it needs to make a real difference in in business outcomes with this next next project they may be less open to you know what are what are the engineers thinking what would the engineers like to try as part of this business they want to know what can we deliver and when and, and what can we bank on uh, but even in those situations like um, for instance when i worked in in publishing which has just been struggling for decades now there are pockets i think there are always pockets of a conversation about requirements or expectations where um, if you know your your technology well enough you know the systems you're working in you know the the history of the teams that have worked on those systems and what their expertise is you can bring in suggestions that can open people's minds to possibilities so for instance Someone might be looking for a capability from a system that your teams already have a lot of expertise in, and that capability might take six weeks. But you might also know that there is uh, a plugin, a workaround, something that one engineer tried six months ago and we put on the shelf. You could pull that off and say, why don't we just try this? Give me, give me three days, give me a week, and I'll come back and I'll show you what we have. And then let's talk about that. And I think opening up those pockets in, in, in the high-pressure situations can get folks who are more more business minded, more business outcomes minded, to understand that they don't have all of the ideas coming into that situation, coming into that conversation, and that the engineers might be able to bring bring some of that to them. Yeah, and I, I feel like that that leads me to worry about the the other side of this, right? And so, and you know, Etsy is a great place to kind of focus here because Etsy is in and of itself, a very creative organization, right? What, what Etsy sells is creative, right? Creative products. Um, right. That's our bread and, and, and butter. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. And so there is a lot of talk about how to scale innovation inside Etsy, but is there, how do you balance that? You know, what you just described as like permission and autonomy with stakeholders, even in an environment, creative environment like Etsy, worrying that it might turn into, you know, the wild west of like, okay, now anyone could just do anything. Like how do you how do right. you set the guardrails and 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 still scale that mindset? It can be a challenge if people don't understand or they don't trust that the engineers are also really bought into the business. I mean, I think we are all the business. Sometimes we fall into the trap of talking about kind of engineering and product on one side, what the product org wants and what the business wants. But if you go to any engineer who's worked at, you know, Etsy as an example for years, they love working here. They want this business to succeed. They want the information about what is important to the business um, so that they can incorporate that into the, you know, hundreds of decisions they make every day as they write code. And if we can draw on that um, at a team level, at an organizational level, we'll often find that the engineers aren't going to come up with ideas about I don't know, something cool to do in the elevators or like some random hack in the refrigerators or something like that. They're going to come up with ideas that pertain to the the part of the business that they already know. If you work in fulfillment, if you work in shipping, you're going to come up with some great ideas that have to do with shipping and making the shipping experience better or integrating better with our partners or something like that. And one thing that we have tried at Etsy 
on the largest scale that I think works really well is providing pockets of time when we let people come up with ideas. And, you know, we often, we call these hackathons in, in some context. Um, they're also kind of the idea generation that comes from something like a design sprint. Uh, but in each of these cases, the, we, we give a set amount of time. We essentially place a bet and, a, and give a window. We say the bet mm -hmm. is that if we let you all work for X days, totally to your own devices, and you can organize yourselves around the problems that are interesting to you, you're going to come up with a bunch of ideas. And not all of those ideas will be things that we want to pursue or things that we can really make work at scale, but some of them will. And what we found at Etsy and what I found elsewhere um, doing similar kinds of week-long hackathons or practices like that is that the, the quality of the ideas may vary quite a bit, but the thing that you can work on over time is the practice of just generating ideas in the first place and, um, and surfacing the range and the quality of ideas to people outside of engineering across the business helps them to see, oh, these engineers and the product managers and the designers they work with, they really care about the business. And they, when given some time, will come up with some ideas that surprise us about directions they'd like to take or things they'd like to try. Yeah, I mean, and, and this this uh, reminds me of Google's 20% time, mm -hmm. right? I mean, to me, it's in a similar vein, right? And that is is at a level of, of significant scale as well. And I know that that has evolved over time. Um, and, you know, you and I were talking about this um, uh, just before this conversation about how we do these things at Stride. And we, we also had... Um, have evolved the way we do this, um, meaning scaling innovation, right? And so we have we have tried giving people time, coming up with ways that uh, teams can work together, uh, and with with varying success. I think I think that's the thing too. Like uh, when you give folks time, even if it was within a, a time frame, hours, days, weeks, whatever the time frame may be, um, are you? as a engineering leader at Etsy, like comfortable with the fact that um, there's going to be a lot of throwaway ideas as well. Like that's scary to some people. <laughs> it's true. I, I'm very comfortable with it myself because I've seen this work over time in different, in different companies, in different contexts. I think the, the message that we always need to provide before everyone engages in this time is that the goal is to produce ideas and be enthusiastic about them in the moment. But the goal is not to fall in love with those ideas or think that those, like everything we work on in this period is something we need to ship in order to really see the value of it. And sometimes the danger of this, which I, I ran into in my, my past job as the CTO at a nonprofit, the danger is that if people do generate ideas and, and they fall in love with them, and we haven't, we haven't built that into a larger kind of product discipline of validating and invalidating the ideas we come up with, it can be really disappointing and demoralizing. And people can think like, oh my God, what's the point? Like, why did I just spend this whole week working on this thing if we're not actually going to put it into production? When I started at the nonprofit I was at before, there was a weekly practice, I think it was Wednesday morning, where someone would pitch an idea to the rest of the company. And the rest of the company there was like 50 people. So it was a small, you know, you could get most people in a room. And the people would decide in the room to ship it 
Like they would actually say, let's, let's ship it. People would be come out of the room, all kinds of enthusiasm for an idea. The problem with that is that it would take longer than a week to ship the idea. So by the time the next Wednesday morning comes around, we're just adding another idea onto the plate. And that started to feel like, you know, burying ourselves in ideas that we didn't have the time or the bandwidth to actually see through. Meanwhile, convincing ourselves that each one was the right one to put into production to get, to get out in front of our members that week. I think the thing that I think the thing that we learned over time there is that we need to pair idea generation and that kind of enthusiasm with the practice of of validating the ideas and putting them through a more deliberative process after that and giving everyone that expectation when they go into the room saying like, we're going to talk about an idea. We might be really excited about it. Remember all the other things we've committed to, we're going to put this through the same process that we do everything else because that's how we know we succeed in the long term. Right, right. Yeah. Expectations around the bandwidth to implement those innovative ideas completely distinct from how good they are is so important because I've been in this situation where you have a lot of fresh ideas and people get really excited. And then, you know, uh, one poor soul has to write it all up. <laughs> and I say poor soul because then someone tells that, that person, Oh, by the way, we have these OKRs that we've already agreed to. And like, that's really nice, but maybe we'll get to it. Never. <laughs> and then, and then instantly people are like, well, why'd we do all this? Why? Like, I'm never doing that again, right? And so you, it is very important to set expectations that there is there is a, um, a process for idea generation and then a distinctly separate process for how to um, incorporate those ideas um, given the time, the money, the resources that the team may have, right? Like, and that might change, right, over time, right? And so this leads me to my next question, which is, you know, the economy has shifted in a very meaningful way, right? We have shifted from grow the top line at all costs to we still want you to grow, but we really need you to be profitable this year, right? So it's the old, like in air quotes, do more with less. And, you know, I've, I've I talked to lots of tech leaders, as you know, CTOs, chief product officers, CEOs. Um, uh, innovation had kind of took a hit in the last three, four months. Um, um, people really focused on their near-term key results, getting the kind of core critical stuff out the door. And so how do you think about scaling innovation in today's economy? Right. I think that is big all question. true. I know it's a big question. And it's also true that if you go back to those executive teams and ask them, do they, do they think they have the best ideas or all of the ideas? They'll probably say no. They'll probably say, we need people to bring their best ideas to these, these initiatives, these priorities that we have in order for the business to succeed. And that's what's really hard to translate down to the team level in times when kind of business considerations intensify. I do think that there's a desire or just a knee-jerk response sometimes to centralize control when things feel really business critical. The, the team that's making the most decisions that has the most leverage, they think their responsibility is to like, you know, let's, let's focus the organization. There's too much stuff going on or we don't know that we're heading in the right direction. And so they think they need to make a lot of big decisions quickly um, to, set the, to set the ship in the new direction. 
And uh, if they do that with too high a level of granularity, they rob all of these teams of the kind of autonomy to bring their best ideas to that, that direction. So I think that is a challenge in front of so many businesses right now. Um, one of the, one of the ways that, that businesses need to work on this is setting goals at the right altitude, even in these mission critical times, like we could have a really, really ambitious goal for whatever company for revenue or conversion or daily active users or whatever it is. And we need to be able to set that goal at the high level um, of, uh, you know, across the organization, across multiple teams. And we need to consider those teams still as a portfolio of ideas and of talent that generates the ideas. So one way that you could, you could rob those teams of their ability to create is if you then cascade that big level goal down to very specific goals for each and every team, because then they they don't feel the permission. They don't feel mm -hmm. the autonomy mm -hmm. to determine like, how necessarily they're going to hit that goal. And yeah, you and were it, talking it is, before about Yeah. No, it's it really interesting about this 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 backwards ladder um because I think it's it sneaks up on, sneaks up on teams because yeah. you work so hard to like ladder up your processes to fit the scale of your organization and then when things restrict whether it be number of people or or autonomy, I think it's very like there is no um, best practice that I know of how to do that, and so people um, uh, kind of come up with well-meaning people come up with what they think is the right thing, and then all of these sorts of cascading negative effects happen. And I like the way you describe it of like robbing robbing people of their ability to innovate i hadn't thought of it that way so i sure. yeah so and, and and robbing the executive team of the best ideas that all these people that they've hired and, and that they're paying can come up with so one thing that you mentioned before was the kind of google 20 percent time approach and for me that speaks to one of the three levels that I think about, you know, fostering creativity at one is the individual level, one is the team level, and the third is kind of the organizational level. I think at the team level, regardless of what the goals are or the business climate, we need to work in an operational method or set of rules for teams to be able to generate ideas on a regular basis. And I think that's part of the spirit of Google's 20% time is originally kind of I think, targeted at the individual level, like spend 20% of your time doing whatever you want. Um, and that gets translated also very differently across Google. But at the team level, it's a great thing to think about. 20% is one day a week, two days a sprint. It could be roughly one sprint a quarter, depending on how you do that and how long your sprints are. But it's a pocket of time that is repeatable over some cadence that we can plan for and we can allow for. And so we could say, things are tight. This team is aimed at revenue. You've got a goal. It's a big goal. We haven't hit the goal that size before, so it's a little scary. Great. Also, we're still going to save one day a sprint or something like that. Mm -hmm. To open up our minds, to run with some new ideas, because we know that the way for this team to be successful long term is to keep fostering this practice, building the muscle, however you want to put it, of generating ideas and not just considering this goal that we have as marching orders. Because I think the one thing that can really give a team myopia 
and especially like the product managers and the team leaders is to get them solely focused on numbers and forget about the product strategy, the domain, the user problems, all that stuff that makes the team a coherent group in the first place. If they start just trying to make the math work up, you know, to, to, to the number that they've been given, um, they, they kind of close down their vision to, to these new ideas. So I think that building in something like 20% where everyone agrees and you can talk about it and you can get air cover from the next layer of leadership above you and they can get it from above them, mm-hmm. that, that still builds in the space that lets the team generate ideas that will eventually move the business forward. And then think of it as a sliding scale versus a switch of being on or off. Right. So instead of saying, okay, we're not doing that anymore. All right. We want to do it. This is very important to our business. This is how we move forward. And instead of getting eight hours, we're going to get six hours. Instead of getting two days, we're going to get one day until these conditions are met or until the time. I feel like that's a really important insight because I think it's, it's easier at the start. Okay. We're not, we're not doing these three things anymore. Those three things are for like the good times. (laughs) Like, it's stressful times these three things are just going away and um the 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 better often you know everyone has different situations but uh, a more um uh fluid way to think about it is uh, all right let we 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 need to do some things that are scary some things that we maybe haven't done before with these circumstances so we're going to um kind of rein in a little bit without eliminating right because i think those long-term consequences if you if you give people that that signal that they are no their ideas are no longer valued, then when when you if you ask you if you try to turn that switch on, you might not be able to. Right, for sure, people train themselves out of even feeling permission to think about right. things that are outside the box, outside outside right. the lane that they feel so firmly defined. Right. Right. Like I, exactly. I totally agree. Oh, oh wait, now you want me to do that again? Well, you know, too bad. Oh, right. Like, right. I think that's, that's, that's a danger. And, and so I, I really like this idea. Um, now is there a, um, have you found that one time scale is ideal? Like, for example, you were talking about days and weeks and to me that, that sounded scary to me because I've always know, operated under, all right, you could take one, like a, a day is the longest I've ever d- personally done. Um, but my companies have been smaller, right? So, you know, 50 people, 100 people. Um, but at Etsy's scale, do you find that there is like, is a week better than a day, for example? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good thing to talk through explicitly with, you know, whoever needs to think about this stuff and, and foster this kind of creativity at the company because um, a, a different cadence may work at the organizational level and the team level and the individual level, and and it'll change depending on the size of the company. At my last company, which was 50, 60 people, we did for a few years do kind of a week and like a hack week. I called it snack week at some point because snacks are easy to sell. Everyone's into snacks. And the reason we tried a week was that we wanted to express ideas in some working format you know the target was a demo and it didn't need to be a fully fleshed out demo but a thing that you know you could show on a screen or that people could click on and so i think that's just one very practical consideration if you're going to have 
people come up with ideas on an engineering level or, or cross-functional with product and design person, there's going to be some time to talk to each other about the idea. There's going to be some time to hack around and some time to like finish things to the point where you can, you can demo and show other people some of the idea you came up with. So I think a day can be really useful for well-formed ideas that we need to chip away at. But if you're really giving people the space to come up with an idea and come up with an executable version of it that other people can like look at and think about in the future, um, then a week might be better too. But it's got to be a window that everyone agrees to. So it doesn't feel frivolous. It doesn't make people nervous. You know, and, and obviously, like, you could take that to an extreme. Probably a hack month would be way, way too long, and everyone would freak out, and I would too. Um, but a week, you know, one out of 52, that's not a bad bet to make on new ideas. Company. And I, I think it's, it's very important to highlight something that you mentioned quickly, which is, um, you know, you didn't say this, but how I heard it was, how do you measure the outputs and the outcomes of this innovation time, right? And you said the goal is a demo. And that's that's a very, like, that's a, that's a meaningful goal that you can see, see. Like, okay, after this time, we're going to have 10 groups, 20 groups, each get, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. And they might be at different stages in the demo, but there is some sort of information share out to a common group right? Versus it could be, if you had a day, it could be um, a Google Doc. It could be a, a, you know, a PowerPoint or whatever, right? But I think this, this idea of um, when we are, we are at the end of this time period, this is how we share how we spent the time, right? And then setting, setting those expectations up front is also, I think, very important, right? Because, um, um, you know, there, I have seen a lot of teams, um, get stuck in this like paralysis of research mode right and that and that while innovative um is is really not moving a lot of thought forward yet it's also very valuable at the same time right so what do we expect of you right this is what you can expect of um you know the stakeholders and and what we could do with these ideas but what we expect of you is to to show us what you've done in in this way right is mm-hmm. that fair to say i think it's i think it's really fair to say and it's you know it's a byproduct of a great product organization with the well-evolved practices that they do engage in a lot of research and analysis and opportunity sizing all this stuff that validates like you know big ticket directions and, and bets a company wants to make but that can also make us averse to just deciding that something's safe to try or rolling out to a tiny percentage of users or, or testing, testing internally or something like that. You know, we think of, I'm sure you feel this as well. We think of, uh, engineers as an incredibly expensive, precious resource. We never have enough of them. They're really expensive. And so we want to put the, the highest quality, most well-validated work to them. And that's how we often practice, but if we're not involving engineers in the generating of those ideas in the first place, um, or if we don't ever allow them to just try shipping something to, to get it out in the market and see if it works, then we, we kind of shut ourselves off, to, uh, ourselves off to a whole bunch of possibilities and, and ideas. And I think 
the benefit of having a window of time that's like a week where the directive is come up with an idea, get super excited about it, ship some form of it, and then you know, don't fall in love with it. Then we're gonna then we're gonna we're gonna take it through our usual process later. That gets people past all that paralysis and they just get they get moving. And I think yeah. just the act of getting moving is really, really helpful as a rejuvenating practice in a product engineering organization. I, I love it. Um, so sadly, we're at about time, so we do have to wrap up, but I really appreciate these insights, hearing both how you approach scaling innovation um, as a result of your experiences. And also, um, I really love the, the uh, kind of under the, the hood look at, at how things are working at Etsy, because I think um, lots of people from the outside look at Etsy as a model organization, and it's really kind of nice to hear some things that happen inside your team. So really appreciate that. And um, as we wrap up, I just I just want to call out you had um, shared with me that that you use a lot of really different um, a bunch of resources and 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 tools. And we're going to put those in the show notes uh, below. So I just wanted to call that out. Is there anything you want to highlight for those folks listening? Sure. I think some of the themes that we talked about, about generating ideas and building that practice and and, and building a, a process around it of, of validating and invalidating while keeping up the flow, is captured beautifully in this recent book called Idea Flow, which is from two leaders at Stanford's D School, where they they focus on the, the metric of like the flow of ideas in an organization okay. is the most business critical metric. And I think everything we just talked about is kind of in service of getting those ideas flowing. So it's a, it's a great book with a lot of, um, a lot of practical applications and specific guidance for people. And, awesome. and I, I did mention a few other books there, but, um, but you can just leave them in the notes and I hope they're helpful. Okay. Yep. We'll do. Um, and with that, uh, Matt, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And, um, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. Hey everyone. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to subscribe Give it five stars and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.